Welcome to the EADV podcast, the official podcast of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. This episode marks the first of an extra monthly series covering some of the best venereology talks delivered at the EADV Congress in Berlin. Across the coming months, you will hear from five world-renowned expert speakers and interviewers covering various venereological conditions. But before we get into that, if you haven't already, check out our program of face-to-face courses offering high-quality theoretical and practical training covering a wide variety of specialties. Applications have already opened for courses for 2024, including paediatric dermatology and infectious diseases for nurses in dermatology. Places fill out fast, so subscribe to our mailing list if you'd like to be the first to receive news of when courses go live. You can learn more at eadv.org. Today we are joined by Dr. Peter Greenhouse, a renowned expert in sexual health who trained at Cambridge University in gynaecology and venereology. He was the first UK clinician to set up an integrated sexual health centre, bridging the gap between contraception and care for STIs. Dr. Greenhouse is in conversation with medical student and HIV activist Vladimir Grishishkin discussing the current epidemiological situation regarding genital warts and HPV and the varied recommendations for HPV vaccination. Dr. Peter Greenhouse shares his expertise on this important topic, drawing on his 48 years of experience in the field. Enjoy. My question is about current epidemiological situation on genital words and HPV. Which regions of the world are most affected? Almost everybody who's ever had sex has been exposed to human papillomavirus infection, but most people are infected, but not affected. In other words, it's a covert, it's a hidden infection. And the, the principal thing that determines whether you will develop a wart, for instance, is your own immunity, uh, uh, or lack of it, of course. And this is one of the most important things you have to think about when you're trying to manage people who've got genital warts. But in terms of the world, the countries where there is a no vaccination program are the countries with the highest rates uh, of infection, which of course is a, is a tragedy, but it's exactly what you would expect. And thinking of the situation in Europe, there are several European countries that have seriously lagged behind the efforts to get the population vaccinated. And this is for many different reasons, sometimes anti-vax campaigns, uh, maybe religion, Um, or just some countries that haven't started vaccinating boys yet, like Spain, for instance. So each country is in a slightly different situation, uh, and that's why it's very difficult to draw a broad brush over the epidemiology. But what really matters is is how hard you try to get a new infection. Okay. Why are recommendations regarding HPV vaccination so varied, even in the same geographical region? Well, it's largely a matter of economics, because if you think about it, the, the scientific evidence is there, uh, the scientific database is the same from one country to the next, mm-hmm. but the politicians have a big say in it. Uh, and for instance, in the United Kingdom, it took us five, five, four or five years to change from a bivalent vaccine to a quadrivalent vaccine, and that was just in schoolgirls. Then it took another three years to get men who have sex with men vaccinated, and another three years after that, to get schoolboys vaccinated as a sort of equity um, situation where it was fair for everybody to be vaccinated. And then finally, uh, the vaccination went to non-avalent uh, a couple of years ago. So we've, we finally got where we wanted to in Britain, and we have probably the highest uptake in Europe. 
but it's different in different countries because of the money and also because of the politics, possibly also because of the religion. And as I mentioned before, it's also uh, how strongly the anti-vax movement is working. Uh, and it's how much, of course, the popular press amplifies the misinformation uh, about HPV vaccination. Because if you, if you get vaccinated, you're very unlikely to get genital warts, you're very unlikely to get genital cancers. You probably won't get a throat cancer, though we don't know that definitively because it might take 20 or 30 years to find out. And uh, so it's, it's, it's unfortunate that if you live in a country where there isn't much vaccination or there's no vaccination, then it's largely a matter of the private sector. It depends on how rich your parents are as to how safe you will be. And that's not fair. I agree with you completely, but it also seems like there is a um, um, big threshold within the dermatological community and also within the community of infectious doctors, because... Um, it seems like there is no any point of agreement on actual like um, age gaps for vaccination, for example. Like in Sweden, uh, we do have a big variety of recommendations. Like for MSM, we are vaccinating up to four to five years, but for trans women, for some reason, it is up to 27. That doesn't sound appropriate to me. I mean, I would have thought, because you have to think, at what age did they transition? When did they incur their greatest risks? It's a very difficult one. Obviously, it would be nice if your entire school children population had been vaccinated anyway, and then it's not a problem for the younger generation. But that still leaves you with people over the age of 25, over the age of 30, uh, many of whom are still going to benefit, certainly up to about the age of 45, uh, from vaccination. And it depends on the risks that they're running, um, but this this is the problem. If you've got if you've got the money, then you can get yourself vaccinated. That's fine. But if you have a proper national campaign that's driven by public health evidence, then the doctors should go along with that, uh, and they should also be actively looking out for younger people who didn't get vaccinated, who missed out because their parents wouldn't allow them to be vaccinated, or maybe they were just ill on the day that the, the vaccine nurse came round. So there are so many different things that each, each individual cl clinician can do to try and help boost the vaccination levels in their population. Does that sort of answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. as a representative of uh, youth generation, I would say that HPV vaccination is getting more and more popular and like um, my um, like mates in the university, uh, people of my age, they are dreaming not about like Balenciaga back, but about um, nine valent HPV vaccines. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You then have to think if, if for instance, you were lucky enough to, as a young person, to have received the the quadrivalent vaccine. Do you persuade somebody, or if, if, if when you start earning a bit more money, do you actually reach into your pocket uh, and, and pay for the non-avalent vaccine? The evidence on that is actually very, uh, very slim at the moment, uh, the actual benefit. There's obviously going to be a benefit in the long term for a small, relatively small number of people. Uh, so for an individual, it probably doesn't matter. But the really important thing is to get a vaccine of some sort 
provided it's at least a quadrivalent vaccine into you, really it doesn't matter at what age, because if you think about it, for people in their 40s or 50s, that generation carries with it the same sexuality it had as teenagers, uh, and we know that there are much higher rates of sexually transmitted infection in, in postmenopausal women now, um, uh, and this is uh, it's something that even they have to, to consider. Should we offer HPV vaccination regardless of age and gender if a patient is eager to do so? It must depend on economics. Uh, once again, it, it, on a national level, it, it's almost certainly inappropriate to start recommending that people in their 40s or 50s start getting vaccinated. Although, once again, the cutoff for men who have sex with men, the evidence is good up to 45. Above that, there's probably very little benefit. But under that age, for men and women who... Uh, who may be in a phase of their lives when they want to become a, perhaps a little more sexually active than they might have been before. Um, although condoms help you with some sexually transmitted infections, they won't make much difference for HPV because HPV is all over the skin. Although then another thing that matters, of course, is, is what, what is the population, the milieu in which you, you're finding yourself? And are you mixing with other people who've been vaccinated? Because... If you're mixing in a population where everybody else has been vaccinated, it's not quite so important. But uh, one of the things about this so-called herd immunity has, been, has used to be given the argument that, oh, these people don't need vaccinated, or these boys, schoolboys don't need vaccinating because all the girls are going to be vaccinated. Of course, leaving out the, the, uh, the, the, the gay men or, or the, anybody who is not sure of their, their sexuality. But if you've got an equitable program, then you're in a much better situation and the more and the the more people to get vaccinated the harder you have to try to get human papillomavirus infection the more people you have to bump into or what we might call the nn nnm you know the nnt is the number needed to treat well nnm is the number needed to meet if it comes to cases of uh, gentle words uh can you name three takeaways from your presentation that's every health care specialist or dermatologist specifically should be aware of absolutely good I, very good question the first thing i would say is that nowadays with so many people being vaccinated having been vaccinated you have to first ask yourself why has this person in front of me got genital warts Either they haven't been vaccinated or there's something wrong with their immunity um, or, or, or a number of other possibilities. And the first thing you can do is to look at their, their general health and see if there's anything that you might have missed or that they might be doing to have diminished their immunity. And the number one uh, cause of low immunity uh, in both women and men is smoking. And not many people know that the more cigarettes a woman smokes, the more likely she is to get cervical cancer. For instance, she's seven, if she smokes 20 a day, she's seven times more likely to get uh, cervical cancer than, than a non-smoker. And it's double that for, for, for 40 a day, 14 times. And that's been known for many, many years, but never, ever advertised. Isn't it amazing that you know, when you run these anti-smoking campaigns, they never tell you uh, that it actually affects your immunity in all sorts of ways, including whether or not you will either get cervical cancer or vulval cancer or indeed anal cancer, uh, or indeed uh, whether you'll actually develop genital warts. Remember, most of us um, will never get genital warts. And perhaps the best, actually the best way I could describe that is, is you, you've, you've walked around a swimming pool in bare feet. 
Yes? So you must have walked around a sweat. So you're bound to have human papillomavirus, different types, on your feet, but you may never get a verruca on your foot. And it's the same in the population. Most normal people have had sex, by choice or not, at some time in their lives. So almost all of us will have been exposed to HPV, and those of us who are not uh, vaccinated will be infected, but without being seriously affected unless our immunity is low. And once again, we can diminish our immunity by smoking. We can diminish our immunity by not eating very well, by losing lots of sleep. Um, cumulative uh, tiredness will do it, uh, which I didn't actually mention in my lecture. But other things that are really important to exclude, of course, uncontrolled diabetes. And perhaps top of the really important list is HIV. Because quite often, difficult to treat warts are the, the clue that, 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 that could let you into making a diagnosis of HIV. So never forget, somebody whose warts are difficult to treat, uh, make sure they're not a diabetic, stop them smoking if they're a smoker, and for goodness sake, test them for HIV. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, and please make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or otherwise you can find us on any major podcast provider. We appreciate you joining us and we look forward to presenting more interviews, research and other important topics. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Venereology Talks series, which goes live on January the 16th, covering the topic of syphilis. Until the next episode, take care of your skin and sexual health.